So, Advent. I love Advent, and I love Christmas. Hate winter, love Advent, love Christmas. How many times can I say that, right? Like every week until it's spring. And then I hope I get to preach at spring, because that's my favorite time, because I truly come alive. Um, Pastor Michelle, she already said it. She said that um, Advent, and really the whole of our Christian lives, right? And as for the sake of our series, we're calling it the Christmas life, the Christian life, the Christmas life. Advent is all about recognizing that tension that she spoke of. The tension of the already and the not yet. The already of what God has fulfilled of his promises. And the not yet of the excitement of all that is still to come. The dessert, <laughs> which is my favorite part. Yeah, I think you should eat your dessert first. But anyway, I can't apply that to my sermon right now, so I'm going to pretend like I never said it. Um, anyways. Today we're going to be talking about joy, our first week of Advent. We've already covered the themes of hope. Last week we had a really meaningful time together, I feel, talking about God's peace. We talk about joy today, and then on Christmas Eve in our candlelight service, we will lean in together into the love of God and light that Christ candle. And it's such a beautiful moment when that Christ candle lights all of our candles, and you just see this room go from dark to light. And isn't that what Jesus has come and done for us. Amen? We get each year this powerful reminder at Advent that we are a people both of celebration and of waiting. Today, as we turn to the Advent theme of joy, I really want to offer us this challenge, this reflection, if you will, to think about whether we are living as though we are just only a waiting people and not a celebrating people. And I get, right, I know, I, I, I know that it happens to me, I know it happens to you, that you feel that tension sometimes of just the waiting, the waiting is all I can see, and celebrating just kind of gets put back into the background of our circumstance. And if we are going to live the Christian life, if we're going to live as a people who have received good news, there ought to be some celebration in our life. Amen? And, and I know celebration, sometimes it looks like Lots of bubbly, my exuberant, crazy happiness. <laughs> and sometimes it just looks like this. It just looks like this flame. And the flame of Christ can never be extinguished. We know that. And sometimes celebration looks like just that little bit of light that in our darkness is always there, always reminding us we are never alone always reminding us that he will light our path, he will light our way. We are a celebrating people, not just a waiting people. Luke 2, 8 to 11 says this, and there were shepherds, we heard it from Joe earlier, living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause what? Great joy, celebration for you and for all people. Why? Because today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. And he is the Messiah. He is the one, O Israel, that you have been waiting for. He has come. This was earth-shattering, life-altering, heaven-coming-into-earth kind of news cause for celebration. And I think that this whole passage really could be summed up as this, Merry Christmas, right? Like when I say Merry Christmas to you, this is what I mean. Merry Christmas, 
good news. The Savior of the world has come among us. And guess what? He's coming back again. And in all of the in-between times, he's doing these crazy, amazing, earth-shattering cause for celebration kinds of things in us and through us and around us. That light has come. And it's never, ever from this point forward ever going to be extinguished. Merry Christmas. Right? <laughs> Merry Christmas. Calvary, the Savior of the world, has come. He really showed up. He lived a breaking heaven into earth kind of life with every word that he spoke, every person that he chose to speak to. Merry Christmas, Calvary, that he has chosen to love our crazy, arrogant, pick-our-own-way, messed-up, need-lots-of-forgiveness selves, so much so that it was the joy that was set before him, that he laid his life down on that cross for you and for me and for those shepherds and for those kings and for those Pharisees and for those Romans and for et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Merry Christmas, Calvary, that you need not fear even death itself. Merry Christmas, Calvary, that someday every ounce of evil in this world the cause of your greatest heartbreak, the thought that will not leave your mind alone, will one day have to bow down before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and it will be void of every ounce of its power, and it will be no more. Amen? Amen. Amen. This is incredible news, a cause for great joy. And when this is the lens in which you're looking at your life through, you will be able to see more clearly. That light will light the way in front of you. Not all the steps at once, thank God sometimes, but step after step after step, he will be with you. He will light your way. And I know reality. Well, that is reality, what I just said as well. So let's not forget that. But I know with circumstance, I know that circumstance can happen. And sometimes that joy of that good news lens, oh, it's, it just does. It just gets like pushed back in light of our circumstance. And maybe that's how you feel today. And that's okay. Like you won't be the first, you won't be the last, and it won't be the last time you feel that way. The word of God is full of story after story after story of people who just feel like they can't get out of this waiting, waiting for that thing to get fixed, waiting for that thing to get healed, waiting for that loved one to have their life come together for them, waiting for your mind to just give you a moment's peace. And Jeremiah in Lamentations, he felt this way. Lamentations 3, 17 to 20 says this, I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. And so I say my splendor is gone, and all that I hoped for the Lord, it's gone. I remember my affliction, and I remember my wandering. I remember the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them. This is the lens in which I can only see right now. And because of this, my soul is just downcast within me. And maybe you feel like that today. And what do you do when that is how you feel? And what I won't tell you to do is pretend like that's not real and not happening because Jeremiah's words are very real 
And that is how he feels. His soul is downcast. And yet, we'll get to that later, and yet there's something that can be done about that blurred lens in which he's just kind of forced to look through. How many of you have 2020 vision? 2020, you've never needed glasses a day in your life. Oh my goodness. Okay, like one of you? Bobby, you have 20, get your hand up. 2020 vision. Don't you come into my club if you don't need to. Tyler, okay, hands down, you breakers. Hands down, you and your good genetics. All right, well then, how many of you, apparently like 99% of you, um, need some sort of help navigating your way around the world? Oh my, welcome, my people. I'm wearing contacts right now. Um, yeah, some of us, we need a little bit of help. I got my very first pair of glasses in grade eight. That same year, I got braces. So as you can imagine, I was living out my teenage beauty dreams going into high school. Oh, was I excited. No, but for real though, it was an incredibly life-changing time, life-changing moment in my life when I realized that I needed them. <laughs> And I went to the optometrist and I walked out of the optical store with my mom with my very first pair of glasses, my very first prescription. And oh my goodness, it was probably cute right off the start with my parents. And then it probably got really annoying after a while. But I would read like every sign that we drove by. I'm like, I can't see! Like, that says this, and that says that, and the fine print, I can see it. And I was a little frustrated that everyone else could see this way, like without any help, and I've never was able to see that way before. But I was full of like awe and excitement. It was amazing. But I don't have the same prescription today that I had when I was in grade eight. I still need to go every few years and get that tweaked a little bit because apparently that's something that happens. I'm not even gonna say the word because I know you guys are gonna throw things at me if I say I'm getting older. Anyways, um, I need, my eyes are changing shape. Things are happening, I need different, I literally a couple weeks ago, I went to the optometrist and I needed to get new lenses because the previous lenses that worked, I don't know, since I had contacts, apparently now don't work anymore. And even today, when I'm looking at <laughs> my notes, it's like a little hazy, but when I look at you, you're clear. So I don't know, I might have to join like the bifocal family soon as well. Don't you nod your heads at me, the Lord can heal me this very morning. Anyways, I don't have the same prescription. I have to go in and I have to get it checked. And a few weeks ago when I went to the optometrist, anyone who's ever been for an eye exam knows what they do, right? They take time to put each lens in front of your eyes and they ask, better or worse? Better or worse? Over and over and over again with me because I think I fail it or something. It's like, all right, better or worse this time? I'm like, uh, better? Like... <laughs> Worse, worse. The answer's worse. Like, this isn't a test. Just tell me what you see. Sometimes the change was so subtle that I just didn't know how to answer it. And other times it was so obvious. It's just like, worse. Absolutely worse. Do not give me that <laughs> prescription. And then eventually there's that really awesome time when they put both of the lenses in front of each eye and they say, all right, how's that? And it's like, oh my gosh, have, is this how I can see? And meanwhile, like literally earlier before I walked in, I was not seeing like that, obviously. And it's clear, and I go, and I get new contacts, but because I'm cheap, and I had just got glasses not long before, I'm like, you know, 
is it really gonna make a difference if I wear my old glasses for like, I don't know, another five years? <laughs> no, like another little while. Well, but if you've ever tried to do this, maybe you're not as cheap as me. I see that head nod, you've done it. Where you just, you go to put it on, you're like, oh, this just is not gonna work. <laughs> Once you've seen the contrast, you can't go back. You can't go back to the old prescription. I don't know about you, but I find my life to be a little more enjoyable when I can see clearly. Yeah, look, I'm so, you guys are loving this illustration because you all know, apparently all of you need to wear glasses. All right, yay. My journey with joy and my vision have so many correlations between one another. I have found that my level of joy is closely tied to the clarity of my vision, to my ability to see clearly a couple of things, the character of God, my identity as a child of God, my place or my purpose in the kingdom of God, the role that I have to play in that, my trust in the promises of God and in his ability to see them through all of the way. 2020 vision in these categories would be amazing. Life would feel so much smoother. And yet not even you earlier three braggers from before have 2020 vision when it comes to these things. None of us do because, because fall, because aging bodies and genetics and because of death and grief and loss and illness, because of mental health battles we never chose but seem to have chosen us, because life, because hard, because stuff, right? Most importantly, we don't have 2020 vision because there is an enemy whose sole mission in this life is to keep your kingdom vision blurred. Anyone watch Hunger Games? I'm like so scared to say that out loud. Like, you know what, it's a philosophical movie that yes, you don't watch if you're a child, but there's things to learn. Anyway, the few of you who admit to watching it um, will know the line where, and you're gonna all come at me if I butcher who says this. I think it's Hamish says it to Katniss and has, yeah, anyways, where he says, remember who the real enemy is. Okay, so even those of you who don't watch it, you can follow my train of thought. Remember who the real enemy is. And the enemy would love nothing more than to distract you and thinking that your enemy is like someone in this room or the enemy is the church over there that lets you down and hurts you or the enemy is blank who really hurts you or the enemy is just your body or your mind. But we have to remember that the enemy is the enemy. The enemy is. Under the root of all evil is not people who God created to bear his image, whom he loves. It's the enemy. 1 Peter 5, 9 says, be sober-minded, be watchful, have your eyes open, because your adversary, did you know, did, have you ever felt that you have an adversary in this life? It's him, it's this guy. He prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And what is his character? Because as much as we need to know the character of God, you need to remember what the character of the enemy who is your adversary is. And this is him. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in truth. There is no truth in him, not an ounce of it, not a sliver of it. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. This is who he is. Say it with me. The devil is a liar. Go. One more time with feeling. The devil is a liar. This is a time where you're allowed to yell in church, okay? 
He does not want you making that trip to the optometrist. He wants you walking around, cheaping out with that old prescription for as long as humanly possible. He doesn't want you to see the contrast between what it's like to see with clarity and focus and the blurry lens that he has put in front of you. He does not want you to see clearly the kingdom of God at work in you and through you, around you. He doesn't want you finding beauty in anything, in any of it. Why? Because then he would have to hear the sound of your praise, Calvary. He would have to hear the sound and the joy of your gladness, and he hates that sound. That's why it's so powerful when you show up, even if you don't feel like it, and you give your praise to God because the enemy remembers, oh shoot, I lost. Right? Uh oh. <laughs> Uh oh, there's going to be a clear lens being put in front of them this morning, and I really didn't want them to have that one. I wanted them to think that there would be no joy in my life ever again. I wanted them to think that, yeah, yeah, they're not talking about this circumstance. This one, there can be no joy. This one, if you're remembering it, this, your soul will be downcast, and I would really like it to stay that way, says he, the liar. So I'm glad you're here today. Because let's get some clearer lenses in front of your eyes. The main, not the main, I've just put a list of a lot of common lies that the enemy speaks over us. Maybe these are just ones he's spoken over me at some point or another. They're lies of isolation, of rejection, of finality, of abandonment, bitterness, skepticism, apathy, comparison, shame, pride. Looks like things like, you don't need God, you don't need community, you can live your life however you want on your own. You aren't worth loving, you'll never feel joy again, God doesn't care about your pain, he did this to you, no one can be trusted, they don't deserve your forgiveness, everyone else has it better than you, get more, obtain more, pursue whatever pleasure that you want, you are all that matters. Imagine trying to navigate your way through life that way, to see those earlier things that I talked about. With one of these lenses, it's difficult, let alone with several. And like confession, like I've had several of these on at the same time sometimes. And it gets really blurry and it gets really hard to see. And that light that is there gets just like pushed back. This is the kind of life, these are the kind of lenses that cause you to just settle into a waiting posture only. No celebration to be had. If you're going to have clarity of your vision, you're going to have to get battle ready. And I'm not talking about fighting each other or anything else, anyone out there. So don't let anyone's face come to your mind but the enemy. Remember who the real enemy is. Let's get ready for battle because it says be watchful. Know what's him and know what's not. And the only way that you're going to know how to do that is to get yourself armed with a few things. My neighbor, who many of you have met, Amanda, we baptized her on Easter here. She's a sweetie. Uh, she uh, was born with a condition called Williams syndrome. So I think she's about, she's probably 34, same age as Bobby, um, but probably 14 intellectually. Anyway, she, man, she brings me joy. And we have like daily conversations where she'll just call me in the middle of the day. And she's like, oh, what you up to, Kath? Well, working. <laughs> and she's like, well, I'm not feeling so good. I'm like, oh, shoot, Amanda. You want me to pray for you? She goes, yeah, sure. But like I already said a little bit earlier, I said, not today, Satan. And this is her battle cry. 
And if you need to borrow her battle cry for a bit till you get your own, or just take that one, it's a really good one. And you, that's the first step is you just say, wait a second. <laughs> My soul is downcast. I'm not feeling joy. Not today, Satan. Not today. Say it out loud. Not today, Satan. One more time with feeling. Not today, Satan. There you go, Ashley. Thank you. <laughs> how do we do it? How do we? It's not enough to just say it. How do we go and how do we prepare ourselves for battle? Well, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We take every... I've, I've heard this verse used not awesome at times, um, but it is a really powerful verse. I'm going to need that lighter up here. Um, you take the thought, you take that lens, you take the attack of the enemy, and you grab it because you recognize that it is, you recognize it for what it is, and you make it captive. You put it under the obedience of Christ. And the only way, the best way to do that is to get into the presence of God. And it sounds simple, and it sounds trite, I know. To some of you, are like, oh, yeah, you think I didn't try that, Kathleen? Do it again and again and again and again, and you sit there for longer, and you do it when you don't feel like it, and you just do it for however long you can. You do it on your drive to work. You get into the presence of God because we're told in John 15, 4 to 5, that the fruit of joy, you know it's a fruit, right? Like, and it comes from the Spirit. It's the only place it comes from. It doesn't come from any other store. It doesn't come from any other person. It doesn't come from any other circumstance. It comes from the giver of joy. It is attached to the vine, and it, it comes out of him to us. It's the only way that we can get it. Remain in me as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine, and neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. And now remain. What does it look like to remain? It's not a death sentence, you guys. It's like a joyful celebration. Like, remain in my love. You just come and get in my presence, and I'm going to cover you with my love. I'm going to remind you. I'm going to bring you clarity, remembering that you are loved by me. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love, this is the most important part. I have told you this so that my joy, right? Like, that sh says something about the joy that you're seeking. Like, it's his only belongs to him, can only be got from him. My joy may be in you, and then your joy can be complete. And then you'll sound like the psalmist, right? You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. And like David who says, and I remember I am, Old enough to remember this song of better is one day in your courts, David says, than what? A thousand elsewhere. And isn't that true for those of you who have felt what it's like to be in the presence of God? Better is just one day in there than any other day anywhere else outside of his presence. And so that's step one. If you just get into the presence of God, that is where the true work begins. That is where you can connect to that vine and that fruit will start to branch off in your own life. But apart from it, it can't come from anywhere else. The next is to trust in the character of God. 
And there are so many amazing aspects of God's character, but because of what we just read, I think the important one to kind of remember today and the lens that we should put in front of our eyes is this, is that he is an incredibly loving God. Zephaniah 3, 7 is one of my favorite verses. It has brought me so much joy when I really think about how this is the kind of God that I'm living for. And this is the kind of God that I am serving. For the Lord your God is living among you. Emmanuel, he came with us. He left his spirit as a gift to be with us. He is a mighty savior. He will take delight in you. With gladness, with his love, he will calm your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful song. What a good parent he is. What a good loving God he is. And if you forget sometimes, like we all do, you got to read this truth like over and over again. Like, does he love you? Yes, he does. The other day, one of my sons of the three was having a rough day. And we've all had them. And if you're a parent, you've had a kid who has had them. One of those days where, like, the bagel falls face down on the ground and the dog hair gets all over it. And he's just, his world is done. And he's getting in trouble for things left, right, and center. And one of the times, it wasn't even him who did it. It was his brother. So how dare we get him in trouble? The injustice of it all. And I didn't want him to wear sweatpants that day. I wanted him to wear real pants that day. And oh, my life is over. There was literally fall to the ground, just like, no. And that was like eight times before nine o'clock in the morning, you guys. Like, it was a bad day. And when it all, and you know what? I was looking, I'm like, man, I see it happening. But like, I've had those days too. And I don't know what it's going to take to bring this thing around. But it just might not come around soon. Anyways, and then as it all bubbles up to a point, right, to a boiling point, his frustration, the injustice of it, the no, I'm not going to school. How could you even think I could go to school when all this has happened to me? And he yells out with his sweet, cute, little, tender self, you don't even love me. And Bobby, he said to Bobby and I both, so it wasn't just me, it wasn't just him, we were both under here. It's like, you both do not love me. And then you saw just that sweet little face, and my heart just went out to him, because it was like, he shouldn't have said it, and he didn't mean it, and he just felt like that in the moment, and it's just the sadness and the shame, and he runs off to his room, and he goes into the middle of a triple bunk bed, friends. And if you've never had to climb into the middle bunk of a triple bunk, it is painful. And it is not easy. Those little metal bars that I hope feel okay on their feet, but certainly did not feel good on mine. And then Bobby, who's 6'1", crawling into that bed. We took turns, each of us. And we went into that room where our sweet little boy, who was just having a day, who felt in a moment, and there was some fear on his face, that maybe we didn't even love him. And that's why we got him in trouble for this. And that's why this happened and that happened. And we just, he wouldn't look at us because he wasn't ready to do that yet. And that's okay. We just crawled in behind him and we pulled him in and we held him in our arms. And we just spoke our love over that little being for as long as it took until you could feel him just calm down. And he turned his little face to us and He said to me, he goes, I don't know, mommy, if daddy knows that I know he loves me and I shouldn't have said that. I'm like, trust me, buddy. 
He knows. He knows. And I told him, and Bobby told him, there's not a second of a day of your life that you ever need to worry that we do not love you. I promise you, it's forever. And God's love, how much more over us is it forever? Does that help you see better or worse? Better? I hope better. This is the kind of God that we serve. And, you know, it sounds like, it's like, yeah, well, how do I, how do I remind myself of that? Well, to, you know, I hear it now, and then next week something's going to happen. I'm going to forget. You have to arm yourself with the word of God. It's the best weapon that you have. My mom taught it to me when I was a kid, and oh, she drove me nuts. She's like, put the full armor of God on you before you go to school. I'm like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen to me at recess? Well, some, some tough things at recess sometimes, let me tell you. And then in Sunday school, I had this Sunday school teacher give us rewards, and I am very reward-based, friends. And we would get a reward for memorizing scripture. You want to know what scriptures I don't know why. I've memorized lots of other scriptures, okay, since I was a child. You want to know what scriptures just come up like that? Are the ones I remembered when, memorized when I was a kid in Sunday school. And they can't be it. But there is something powerful about memorizing scripture and being able to have it just come to your mind to light your way. Because guess what? The power's going to go out sometimes, you guys, and you will not have prepared where the flashlights and the candles are, and you can't find your way around. And spiritually speaking, this will happen to you. The power will go out when you least expect it. And if you had not prepared the flashlights nearby to light your way, it is going to be very hard to see through that season. And one of the ways in which you can prepare yourself is to memorize and put the word of God on your hearts. Because like Psalm 119 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It will light your way, I promise you. And there will be times, I was speaking in a room last week, talking this through with a couple people. One had lost his wife, and my friend had lost her brother. I've had a mental health battle like you wouldn't believe for like six years straight. And we all said, I know this is going to sound trite, but isn't it true? Isn't it true that the presence of God just does something to you? It reminds you of the flame and the light in your life and doesn't just remembering who you are and your identity in Christ and the good character of God, doesn't it just keep you going? Yes, yes, yes. And doesn't the word of God, when I can't open the Bible myself, and it's really hard to listen to the worship song sung, and, but the word of God comes to my mind, and it's saying, but I rejoice over you, it's saying, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, when you are weak, I am strong, etc., 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 it lights your way. When Jesus was tempted by Satan himself, Satan's such a dummy, like, he tries to tempt and blur the kingdom vision of the Son of God himself. But yet, Jesus was hungry, and he was tired, and he had the cross just around the corner. And that enemy comes, and he just tries one last chance to blur the kingdom vision of the Son of God himself. And how did Jesus fight the enemy? Do you want to know what words were the first out of the Son of God's mouth? It is written. 
For it is written, word of my Father, for it is written, Scripture, for it is written, truth. And if speaking and declaring Scripture over our lives is good enough for the Son of God, and if that got him through death on a cross, I think it should be good enough for us, shouldn't it? See, better or worse, Calvary. Good, good, we're doing it. Next, and I really think that this next part can really only happen, you'll really only have the strength to do it with these ones, is you declare the goodness of God. You think back when God was faithful to you before. You have the word of God on your heart and coming to your mind. And then you can declare it out loud. Wait, great are you, Lord. Yes. Yes, I've received good news. Yes, this is not my end. Yes, you are with me even here and now. Yes, there is purpose to my life whether no one else thinks there is or not. Yes, I will stay. And I will let this thing play out how you want to, God, because you know every single day and you know every hair on my head and you know how many days I've got and you want every one of them to be filled with purpose. And so I'll stay and I will declare the goodness of God. Jeremiah's words that I read earlier where his soul was downcast, those weren't his only words. You want to know the verses right after that? Right after, my soul is downcast within me. I'm remembering my bitterness. I'm remembering my mistakes, etc. Yet this I call to mind. This is Jeremiah's, for it is written, Satan. <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> Therefore, I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every single morning, and great is your faithfulness. Jeremiah says, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. The Lord's joy will be enough for me. The, joy, the Lord's love I will receive and I will remain in, even when my soul is downcast. The joy of the Lord, I don't need to get it myself. I don't need to work and go and find it. The joy of the Lord will fill me if I remain attached to him, and if I put one foot in front of the other, and I let his light light my path, it will be enough. I want to make sure, myself, and I want us all to make sure, that we're not just living as though we're only awaiting people who have not received the good news of Christ. There's a video that I want to play, um, and it's just pure truth, pure declaration of God's truth. And it'll be a couple of minutes long, but I just want you to sit in that. I, my, my, my wonderful assistant, Bobby, transcribed every single word so that you could have subtitles, because we don't like watching a thing without subtitles. I don't know, is that a thing too, at some age? All right, cool. Anyways, we're gonna watch that, and I just want you to sit in the truth of Christ, because I know some of you are like, all right, I'm about to go back out there and face whatever I'm going to go face, and I just need a little bit more. Let's just cover ourselves in the truth of God. Let's have his word be put onto our soul and onto our minds. And then Bobby and the band, they're going to play, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And when you feel as though his strength is becoming yours, I would love it if you would just stand and sing that with the band. And if you aren't yet, that's okay. Let the praises of the people be an encouragement to you and give you rest and, and just build you up in the body. And we are with you too. Amen?
So let's get some truth spoken over us, and then let's declare our own voice and praises to God. And you know who's going to hate it, which makes me pumped? The enemy. All right. Let's listen. <laughs> 